This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To learn more, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. Welcome. I'm Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast for Lehigh University's College of Business. Today is October 23rd, 2020. And we're talking with Liu Babelkin about her research on how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected workers on the job and at home. Dr. Belkin is an associate professor of management in Lehigh's College of Business and holds the Axelrod Family Endowed Fellowship. Her primary research interests focus on affect and emotions in organizational settings and the role of emotions in negotiations, trust relationships, and managerial practices. She also studies the influence of electronic communication media on employee relationships, decision-making, and performance. Dr. Belkin teaches graduate and undergraduate courses in conflict management and negotiations, organizational behavior, and managing people. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. Belkin. My pleasure. Now, shortly after the pandemic swept across the United States in March, you and your colleagues began collecting data on how it was affecting the lives and emotional well-being of employees. Thinking back, you know, particularly on those first few weeks, what were some of the most significant changes and stressors that abruptly occurred in the workplace and at home for, for employees? Well, um, when this unprecedented event um, started globally in March and when university um, also switched to remote work, um, really, as everyone else, um, we were feeling the same way. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear. And um, the other feature of this pandemic was that besides uncertainty and fear related to health, it really touched every aspect of our lives. Um, a lot of uncertainty and fear with respect to work. A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people didn't know how long they will have them. There was a, was a lot of financial anxiety. And then at home, there was a lot of health anxiety. Kids were not being in school anymore. So all of this kind of this multi-impact on, uh, uh, on our lives really um, was such a significant event that um, we decided that that was um, time when we really need to know how people are coping with such major crisis. It was, so to speak, um, a really unprecedented um, experiment, right? Um, and that was one of the uh, drivers to, to get to know how uh, people are uh, reacting to this event. What's happening um, at work? Do, do the attitudes towards work change? How the behavior has changed? Uh, what's happening uh, at home? Uh, we were concerned about uh, workers' well-being. And also, uh, since my line of research, one of the lines of research that my colleagues and I are conducting is on positive emotions and compassion and gratitude and the role of leader in this, we thought we should definitely look at that and see if leaders do play a role uh, in helping people to survive this crisis. So this was initial uh, ideas when we started this research. And um, uh, we, we did three waves of data collection first in the first two months, and then we recently conducted the follow-up. So in this early days and weeks of pandemic, what we saw is that people were 
motion exhausted. Um, we saw that people uh, were coping with very high emotional demands. Uh, but surprisingly uh, to us, um, well, to, to common school of thought, I would say that under crisis, what um, literature tells us that when these events happen because of stress and fear and anxiety, people tend to uh, really um, think about themselves, be selfish, uh, and that's the literature on the organizational crisis. What we found was completely different. Yeah, I know, you know, a lot of your research has had to do with um, emotions in, in organizational settings. Um, so, you know, it's interesting, you were looking particularly, I think, in, in this case, one of the, the main things was within an organizational setting, within the leadership, the role that they were able to play in making things better for their employees or potentially worse. Right, absolutely. So what, what we looked at, that what's called emotional management, and uh, we all manage emotions. We all manage emotions of ourselves, right? So for example, if we experience negative emotions that are not appropriate for the workplace, we tend to suppress them, like fear or anger or anxiety. Uh, sometimes we strategically display positive emotions in work settings because we have to be nice to customers, for example. So this is called um, personal emotional management but we also engage in interpersonal emotional management, meaning we also manage consciously unconsciously emotions of others. And leaders do that as well. And if they do it strategically in the right way, it can actually help employees to manage their well-being. It can also improve performance. Um, it can uh, decrease withdrawal. So these are really um, helpful tactics that we thought would be important to study during this crisis. Yeah, you know, thinking back to those times and, and the way a lot of us felt, and you, you've mentioned that, that, um, you know, there, there was, a, you know, varying degrees of, of fear, a lot of uncertainty. And it does make intuitive sense that, um, you know, if, you're, if your research had found that workers were, you know, scared, distracted, and, you know, perhaps not at their best at this time, I don't think anyone would have been surprised. Um, but instead, what you found was pretty much the opposite, that there was this um, pulling together for the common good, this, this sense of we're all in this together. Um, so what was going on there that um, made the results so different from what I think most of us probably would have, you know, expected? So what, what we thought about when we were uh, studying this in the early stages of pandemic is that it can't, we cannot rely on data that has been collected with respect to organizational crisis, which are much more local, smaller, and they only affect your kind of working self, right, the part of the job. This was a global crisis. And uh, to understand what was happening, we actually looked at research um, on natural disasters. And what we found uh, is that uh, there were a number of studies when this large scale crisis happened, for example, Hurricane Katrina or September 11th or refugee crisis. What researchers are finding that people who undergo this crisis, they actually um, uh, cooperate way more. They, they help others more because they, they kind of this, have this shared identity of survivals of, this, uh, of survivors of this crisis. 
Mm. And, and this really facilitates the prosocial behavior. So instead of kind of thinking for themselves first, they actually help more others, even those who are not affected by this crisis. And I think that's what exactly we were um, finding in our data. And um, we explain it in the way that it's not just the global crisis that um, led to this, but people were finding new meaning in their jobs. Right, so they interpreted uh, what was happening differently. And uh, there were a lot of people when it started, um, as you know, tried to help in any way they can. Some, some donated money, some tried to sew masks, uh, help uh, frontline workers. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, what we uh, reasoned is that one of the ways people who were fully employed also tried to help is to actually go above and beyond their uh, professional duties. And that's exactly what we found. We saw that the higher were the job demands that people perceived, the more overwhelmed they were, actually the more they were willing to go above and beyond uh, their job responsibilities to help organization or its clients like students or customers, uh, the more that, where they were willing to help their peers. On the other hand, we also looked at what's called counterproductive work behaviors. These behaviors that are uh, discouraged at an organization, like withdrawal or being tardy or doing some little things that distract and kind of reduce performance. And we did not find any of this. It was pretty low um, um, in, in our findings. So that's kind of that. That was one of the interesting results. Wow. And then in terms of the the role that uh, management played in fostering this sense of uh, morale and productivity, even during, you know, such an extraordinary event. Um, what did you find and, and what, what were the, the good managers doing that is instructive for others during a, a crisis, um, whether, whether it's as severe as this or not? What we were looking at uh, was at two types of, um, and two main types of managing uh, behavior. That's how uh, leaders manage employee emotions. One is called reappraisal, when they try to help uh, uh, workers to deal with the cause of the problem. And uh, the other one is called suppression, when they just ask their workers not to show negative emotions, just suppress them. Mm -hmm. And in uh, normal times, uh, what liter literature tells us that reappraisal is a very uh, efficient tactic uh, because it tells workers that leaders really do care. They kind of try to fix the problem rather than just ignoring it by focusing on removal negative emotions. And that is why consistently what we see that when um, leaders or supervisors engage in reappraisal, um, it's much more effective in not only managing negative emotions, but it can also improve their supervisor-subordinate relationships. It can increase uh, employee um, uh, pro-social behaviors kind of going above and beyond, and it also leads to uh, workers' higher job satisfaction. But what we found here is that, as expected, reappraisal was an um, efficient tactic uh, to manage negative emotions during this crisis. But what was surprising is that even suppression was very effective. So um, as long as leaders tried to manage in one way or another, um, it was uh, really helpful in terms of increasing uh, employee performance and going above and beyond. And again, what we attribute this uh, finding to is that workers were finding new meaning in leaders' behavior. 
So as long as leaders try to help, maybe not the best way they could, but at least uh, they tried, it signaled to workers that they care and they actually um, work harder. If you could talk a little more about that idea of workers um, finding a new sense or an increased sense of meaning about the jobs they were doing during such a you know, perilous time. One of the ways to explain is that we all have kind of sense of, uh, we all make sense of things we do, right? And in normal times, we kind of assign uh, different meanings to different things and we go with them. The crisis like this, it, it was a so-called sense-breaking event. So things are different now. People started to perceive regular routine things they were doing at work differently. And in the light of this, people were finding new meaning in things they do, right? So for example, you can um, talk to a customer who is very distressed. And one way to interpret it is saying, well, this customer is just angry, it's a nasty customer. The other way to interpret it is saying, well, he or she is probably dealing with a lot of issues right now. We're in, in this crisis. It's my job to, to help this person. Maybe I can do something for them. So that's the example of, in terms of how, when you see someone's behavior or doing your job, you can assign new meaning. And in times of crisis, people change uh, the way uh, they see things. So that's the, the kind of, that, that was the um, theorizing um, uh, behind uh, our findings. And uh, we think our data support this. So again, employees assign new meaning to their jobs and also to leaders' behavior. So instead of thinking, well, uh, my manager is trying uh, telling me, do not show your anger or anxiety. Well, probably she doesn't care. Instead, it was they really trying to help. They just they also in this crisis. Uh, so that's one of the reasons. And what we found as well is that the trust, the pre-existing trust to the leader or supervisor, really made a difference, especially by um, reducing for, for reducing uh, counterproductive work behavior. So this means that if leaders and their subordinates had uh, established good trust relationships, it really helped to uh, them with managing their workers' emotions. So um, employees were more willing to engage in extra role behaviors, go above and beyond, and at the same time, curb their counterproductive work behaviors. Right, so, so building trust with your employees, if you're a manager, in regular normal times sets the stage for more productivity, more effectiveness, more um, sense of, of, you know, meaning for the job, even when things get incredibly difficult. Uh, I would say it's absolutely critical in times like this. So it, it really matters. And, and there is uh, emerging research on the importance of trust and trusting relationships at work. But it's even more important when there is crisis to encourage workers. So workers actually, um, first of all, to provide new meaning for workers and, and uh, deal with their problems as well, but also to ensure that workers do follow uh, um, with um, the, the way you, you tell them, um, for example, how to do the job or they listen to you and um, ensuring their uh, productivity and also uh, ensuring their well-being. Okay. Now, you also were looking at um, some other questions, and one that a lot of people experienced was this almost literally overnight, um, people who had, you know, gotten up and left the house and gone to work, 
um, for in some cases, you know, decades, suddenly we're working from home and the entire work environment for a lot of us changed. And what did you find in terms of how workers responded to suddenly being thrust into what for men, you know, some people have, have had the option of working from home from time to time, but you know, so many were thrust into a completely unfamiliar work environment now um, in terms of their routine, the, the, the conditions of, of their employment. How did, how did workers respond to that? Well, um, uh, we did an uh, unrelated, um, like a separate project on, on, on this. And what we looked at is uh, um, job control and loneliness. Okay. Why? Um, the reason was that um, there were two distinct features when the COVID-19 COVID pandemic started was that um, because of high uncertainty uh, in terms of crisis severity, reach, duration, health and economic outcomes, um, there is a sense of lost job control. And the other one was because, as you mentioned, uh, almost overnight, everyone started working remotely there was a high degree of isolation imposed uh, because of uh, remote work, but also at the same time, social distancing. So these two factors, um, they really um, uh, kind of drafted two uh, basic human needs. There is need for control and there is need to belongingness, right? So when people mm. pull out of control, they try to gain it in one way or another. Otherwise there's a lot of anxiety. So we looked at how feelings of job control uh, affected employees' uh, emotional exhaustion, work-life balance, uh, counterproductive work behaviors, but also we looked at their uh, variables, kind of personal variables in terms of depression, insomnia, and financial anxiety. And we also looked at work-related uh, loneliness. It's a very kind of up and coming um, research area in my field that, um, well, before, before this, there was work in social psychology saying loneliness kills, literally in medical field, right? So people who are lonely, they have more stress, they have heart attacks, they just don't live long. But what recently has been discovered in management field is that there is this phenomenon that's called workplace loneliness. And it can be absolutely independent from loneliness in, in, the, in your personal life. So COVID really, because of isolation and remote work, really affected negatively um, these perceptions of you know, connection to workers. And what we found was that um, every single variable in our study was negatively impacted by loneliness. It, it had, and, and by the way, work-related loneliness, right? So it had mm -hmm. universally strong and detrimental effect of all of the outcomes we looked at. Emotional exhaustion, it was higher. It was lower work-life balance. It was high depression, high insomnia, and higher financial anxiety. And it's actually increased counterproductive work behaviors. What's interesting was though, we, as a side note, we analyzed uh, looking at, you know, whether people had spouses at home, children, uh, their living situations, and that was completely separate. So, so that tells us that even when people have kids and partners and spouses, work, work, play, uh, work I'm sorry, <laughs> workplace loneliness um, really is detrimental, even if you have support at home, even more so if you don't. Right. And it, some of the... Um... I know you got some comments from 
people who participated in the surveys. And um, some of them are just, just heartbreaking. And I think they will resonate with a lot of the listeners. There was uh, one participant talking about exactly what you were just talking about. Isolation has caused my anxiety to become more severe. Anxiety attacks significantly reduce my productivity. These periods can last hours to days. Right. We, we actually had a lot of comments um, talking about how uh, COVID affected all aspects of their lives. And there was a lot of talk about isolation. And again, not just in social lives, but also in terms of not being able to see coworkers every day, not being able uh, to chat. So even though we have Zoom, it's really did affect um, uh, well-being of workers as, as well as their productivity and also job control. But that was a different um, animal, so to speak. So job control was really a personal um, uh, perception of how much control they have over job assignments. And what we found is that uh, people who felt that they actually have flexibility allowed by the department or by their leaders, they, feel, uh, they felt much better. So for example, um, again, because uh, everyone was affected. So a lot of people had uh, small kids at home who could not go to uh, kindergarten or school anymore. Um, they sometimes, some people used, uh, you know, others babysitters or people who helped them clean the house and they couldn't invite them anymore. Uh, people relied on their grandparents maybe to put, you know, uh, take the kids once in a while so they can work. It was not an option anymore because of safety concerns. So people were dealing with a lot of things and when their managers allowed them to uh, actually take breaks during the day, right? To be more flexible in terms of timing, they were more productive and they felt better, right? Because again, it's a, every, everyone's situation was different, but there, there were so many, many other factors for some people that affected their productivity. Now, it seems that there likely are some, some practical implications for organizational management in terms of the lessons you've learned from um, some of the lessons, at least from uh, the, the way that workers have responded during the pandemic. And I'm wondering how much uh, an organization needs to pay attention to the, the kind of basic psychological needs of workers, not only in a time of crisis, but also in, in the way that working remotely is designed at a company? So this is um, interesting. Um, um, that's a very interesting question, Jack, because I, I think in some way, when you said technology was always there, but this was kind of a serendipitous event, right? It just pushed everything, maybe speed up like five or 10 years from now, putting uh, everyone to work remotely. And even though we're not out of the crisis yet, and there are a lot of questions uh, to be studied and lesson learned, there are certain things we already know. For example, people do need human interaction, right? Um, on the other hand, people can also be efficient working remotely. In fact, um, we ask our participants at the end of the survey to indicate when crisis is over, how would they like to work? Would they be, uh, like to stay remote completely or would they like to go back to the office? And what we found out is that 94% of workers actually indicated that they would like to have at least one day to work from home. So it was probably for a lot of people, even given that they probably were engaged in a lot of other things at the same time, managing 
um, kids or other things at home, they still uh, felt that they were pretty productive. They would like to have at least one day. Only 10% though indicated they would like to be uh, remote completely, which tells us that people still like to have human interaction. So the majority kind of said that they would like to go back to office, but would like to have one or two days a week, uh, the availability uh, working from home. So this tells us that workers need flexibility and managers need to pay attention to that. Um, flexibility in terms of where they do the work. And again, technology allows this uh, uh, currently. And also um, flexibility in terms of hours as well. As our work, prior work to COVID, uh, my colleagues and I, we did research on how email and this constant availability affects um, our well-being, our productivity, uh, our spouse's well-being. What we found is that this idea that if you think you, you need to be available constantly, so instead of working nine to five, you work 24 seven, it really um, negatively impacts your well-being and also marital uh, relationship. So um, going out of the crisis, on the one hand, flexibility in terms of allowing people to work from home, but also allowing people uh, to work certain hours and not expect them to be always on a call or an email. So it's also applicable here, right? Because if people are working from home, sometimes managers think, well, then they should be available any time of the day, uh, but that's not the case. Right. So uh, flexibility, uh, number one. Number two, um, when, um, when things like this happen and everyone has a different situation, it's the job of a leader to make sure that the workers are, um, to understand what is going on in their lives. So if it's all remote, um, it's pretty easy to schedule a routine five minute uh, call, not to talk about work, but just ask how they're doing, what is going on in their lives. Even if you cannot see them in the office, it really helps to maintain this connection which in the long run, of course, uh, increases worker commitment to the job. Um, it, it increases, it may increase, again, we didn't study this, but it may increase also productivity and kind of, again, going above and beyond uh, what they're doing because what to workers, this signals that my manager cares, my right. leader cares. So that, that's another important um, point. And again, that, that would seem to go toward what you were talking about in terms of building trust with employees that, you know, you're not only hearing from your supervisor when they want something from you. They're actually interested in what's going Absolutely. on in your life. Absolutely. And uh, we did another study um, during COVID, but um, we did actually experimental work with them. And what we found out is that people who reported their managers uh, really cared about them, especially during early stages, asking how they're feeling, trying to help them, I don't know, find some products that were out of shelves. Um, these people were more committed to work and they were more creative. They, they were actually um, uh, suggesting ideas and raising concerns when business were, uh, businesses were in trouble. So that's another related to COVID study, but not something I was uh, talking about today, but it also show us, shows us how important this uh, personal connection to your workers, right? Just displaying some compassion. And workers do remember that. And, and they literally not just perform their jobs, they go above and beyond because to them it signals, my manager cares and my work matters. And that kind of goes back to the work meeting, right? Yeah. 
there's a lot more I'd like to ask, but I, I think I'll wrap up with this question, which is, I know you've continued to collect data throughout the pandemic, and I'm wondering, have you seen any changes in behaviors and attitudes? I'm wondering how, how workers are handling what is called the new normal today compared to, say, six months ago. Right. We just actually finished this follow-up uh, uh, data collection, and um, it's, we just have preliminary results, but it's very interesting because uh, now everyone is talking about uh, COVID fatigue, right, so to speak, because we, we all tired, right? So at the beginning, it, we, we were scared, but it was so new. We didn't know how uh, long it would last, probably a couple of months. Unfortunately, it, it uh, lasted longer, and still we don't know when the end is in sight. And because human resources, physical and mental are limited, you get tired dealing with everything that's happening. So we were not sure what we will see. But for now, um, kind of supporting this pandemic fatigue notion, we do find that people report much higher emotional demands at their jobs than we saw six months ago. Um, which is quite interesting because that was this shocking crisis, right? And people were very overwhelmed, but they even over more overwhelmed now, even though we kind of got used to this new normal, but we just got tired, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's hard. On the other hand, what we also are seeing is that people still perceive very high meaning in their jobs and people who do, again, go above and beyond their job responsibilities. In fact, the, the, uh, what they reported is significantly higher than what we saw in the early stages of the pandemic. At the, other, uh, the same time, the counterproductive work behaviors did not increase at all, which to us means, again, people are exhausted, they're dealing with a lot of demands, but they are still finding meaning in their jobs, and they are still going above and beyond the expectations. Great. Well, I think on, on that optimistic note, um, it would be a good place for us to end. So thank you again so much, Dr. Belkin, for what's been a most interesting conversation about something that affects all of us. Thank you so much for inviting me today. And we're hoping um, to collect data, more data when it is uh, one year from uh, the start of the pandemic. So we, we, we would like to confirm our findings and hoping to, for some new insights that will help us all manage situations like this and, and, and organizations and especially their leaders. We hope our findings would be interesting to how to really adjust their work environment to ensure that workers are healthy and happy and dealing the best uh, they can with the crisis, but also that organizations flourish uh, and survive during the times of crisis. Well, let's hope that by that one year mark, uh, things are looking considerably brighter than they do now. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I'd like to once again thank my guest, Liuba Belkin. Her research has been published over the years in such prestigious academic journals as the Journal of Management, Journal of Applied Psychology, Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, Journal of International Business Studies, and Organizational Behavior and Human Decision Processes. It also has garnered considerable media attention from such leading business and financial news outlets as Business Week, The Financial Times, CNBC, The New York Times, The Boston Globe, The Wall Street Journal, CNN.com, and Fortune Magazine, among others. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. 
To hear more podcasts featuring Lehigh business thought leaders, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Lehigh Business. This is Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast. Thanks for listening.